Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I am your host, Omarvin. And as always, I am joined by Brent Little. Today, we're going to go through hopefully a rapid fire podcast talking about Rounded Feminos 1-0 victory over Rayo. Grant has to leave a little early because he has to go party or something like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll try to get through this stuff quickly. Um, right off the bat, we obviously need to talk about Rayo Vallecano's protest at the start of the game. Just for 30 seconds after kickoff, they just stood there with the ball, not doing anything, trying to bring attention to their plight, to their predicament, what they're having to go through at the moment. And we've discussed Rayo and their problems previously on this podcast. I've posted a couple of threads at times translating some of the statements players have made, and I will put those links in the show notes. And I'm also probably going to post something on management or just summing up the situation a little bit because their protest in this game is a good little excuse to, to post something like this on managing Madrid. But real quick, let's just go through again some of the stuff they're complaining about. All the way back in August, they scheduled a press conference to denounce their club for not registering them with social security and providing for working conditions. Remember, a workplace has to provide workers with social security. It is a legal obligation that Raya Vallecano is not complying with. Some players for the men's team have voiced their support for Rayo Femenino. One of the captains, uh, Paulo Andujar, claims that she's been unable to contact the president. All they're asking for is basically to be treated with basic dignity, to get access to the gym, get basic medical services, get good physiotherapy treatment and equipment. They've had problems getting access to even COVID tests, which they only got one at the beginning of preseason. They're not allowed to park in the team's general parking lot like the men's team are. That's just kind of half of it. Newer stuff kind of came out around end of September, but I kind of saw it at the beginning of October, where because of Ryan not fulfilling legal obligations to them and essentially not paying the rent that they're kind of, they promised to pay players that in their contract, a lot of players were at risk for literally living in the street 
which is insane. Rio Vallecano haven't had a physio, so if one of their players suffers an injury, they need to go to the opposing team's medical staff for help. It's just an absolutely ridiculous situation. And I think them taking 30 seconds just so we can like pay attention to this and like get some like literally just get some eyes and some voices about what's happening right now, especially in light of everything that we're exposing wounds football at the moment. I'm really not quite sure how this is not a bigger story, how this has not exploded. And yeah, this is something we obviously have to talk about, especially when it's right in front of us and the, the players are asking for us to talk about it when they have that protest. So I would like to probably go into this a little bit more, but as I said, we don't have that much time. So let's get into talking about the game itself, Grant. We go with what's, I think, a 3-4-1-2 lineup. Caroline Muller-Hansen playing in behind Esther Gonzalez and Aikari Garcia, a double pivot of Mike Rose and Claudia Zornoza. And then I think probably an expected back five of Kenti Robles, Claudia Florentino, Ivana Andres Rocio Gavis, and Ola Carmona because Babek Peter is out with some sort of muscular injury. What did you think of that lineup? Was there anything you were surprised by? I, I probably thought Ateneo was going to start. Maybe Claudia Zornoza would get a rest because she's just played every single minute this season. What do you think? Yeah, well, first off, I want to say that I'm not leaving to just go party. <laughs> I've got friends in town watching so partying. the Ohio State football game. I'm a grad student at Ohio State, so that, that's why. All right, Ohm has to watch something at 12 as well. But I think... The thing that surprised me most about this was Muller as kind of that number 10. We haven't really seen that at Real Madrid. We've normally seen her as one of the two forwards. So I was interested in how that would work, how the chemistry would work with her kind of in that more withdrawn position behind Esther and Naikari. So how did you like her there? What do you think of that performance in the first half? Because the second half her position changes and it actually was key to us performing better and eventually going on to win. We'll discuss that. But first half, how do you feel she did in that number 10 role? I thought she had a couple of bright spots, but it was a very like striker playing the number 10 where she didn't have too many touches. She was dropping off to get the ball a little bit. When she did have touches, she had some nice turns, some nice passes. But overall, I think she had some bright spots, but she wasn't involved enough for me. I don't know if that's how you saw it. I thought it was fine. I think she's a player that can play there because. She is tends to be a forward who will drop off from the front line, use her big frame, receive back to goal, and look to link with players. We've talked about this before. It's why I think her best position is in a two-up top playing in the front line because she's just, she's just really good at that. And then turning and making weight runs into the box. I wouldn't say there was anything spectacular going on. I thought Rayo had the right idea with their defensive structure and we weren't really dealing with it all that well in the first half. And they were kind of able to outmatch us in all the key zones that we wanted to attack and progress in. And that's probably has to do a lot with the reason why there wasn't, I think, that much to say about Muller in the first half. And really, I, I don't think that much to say about anyone besides maybe Maite, who I think really kept play ticking well. And she was someone who, if, if anything was going to happen in the first half, it felt like it was going to come from her boot, her forcing a ball somewhere and trying to make something happen. What did you think was kind of the issue with what we were doing the first half? When I say issue, it's relative, right? Rayo didn't threaten our goal at all, even though they had a couple, you know, kind of dangerous counterattacks. We dealt with it well. It was kind of comfortable, right? Like this is the 14th place team in the league at the time when we played them. They're not a good side. 
And I, honestly, it's not their fault because of all the issues they're going through, which is sad. But on the football pitch, right, we should be expected to beat them. And so it was it was really a comfortable game besides one ridiculous error at the end that almost cost us. But it was an extremely comfortable game. It was a comfortable half. But we weren't actually really breaking Ryo down. We were, we were struggling to really create much. And there were maybe only like three moments that, that really were were anything to like get off our seats about. So what, in that kind of relative sense, why do you think we were struggling in the first half to break Ryo down? Yeah, Ryo didn't offer much of a threat, as you said. I think we saw a lot of what we've been seeing against these lower table sides, a lot of possession at the back between the five defenders. And then an inability, really, once we get it to Maite and Zornosa to enter into the final third, to create opportunities in the final third. I think basically the only time we were really able to do that in the first half is when Maite or Zornosa played these crossfield switches. We just made it really too easy for Ryo Vallecano. We weren't moving the ball fast enough. It wasn't circulating quickly. So they were able to get in their defensive structure, kind of just sit back, and we weren't moving them around too much. So I think. The pace of play along with kind of the off movements in in the final third made it pretty straightforward and right in front of Ryo to defend. We weren't doing a lot to pull them out of position. I think not doing enough to pull them out of position is the right way to put it. So obviously, we're not a team that does a lot of offensive organization, like the positioning of all the players in relation to each other isn't exactly going to be spot on. And so there are all those like underlying issues that we always talk about when we have difficulty breaking a team down. But I think there was something a bit extra here that was going on. So I thought it was quite curious that Osnar went with Muller in behind and he went with the 3-4-1-2 shape when it had been 3-5-2 in the past. Probably because like I think we've exhausted the Claudia in midfield experiment, though he might not feel that way. And the only reason Claudia went back in defense was because Bob's was out. And um, therefore, it made him think about, okay, well, if I'm going to put someone else in the field, who's it going to be? Maybe he doesn't feel like Teresa is ready to come back yet, or he just wanted to rotate, which is interesting because Zornozo is still on the pitch. But he goes with that shape. And I don't have a problem with it in theory, like having two strikers playing against the back line plus someone putting pressure between the lines and then wide wing backs is like a good recipe to, to really stretch, pull, and compress the defensive line bring them centrally, find space out wide. And then when they stretch out wide, you can then hit the channels. And it just makes sense on paper. I think the way it was kind of being executed out on the pitch and the way that IO counteracted that, because I think they expected it to, for us to come in with a back three, with, with the wing backs being very aggressive, was they kind of went 4-1-4-1 defensive structure with maybe one of the central midfielders stepping out onto the double pivot. And so at times he kind of gave a 4-4-2 look, but basically they had a ton of defensive width and they had the numbers in midfield, right? So they had, and, and sitting off in a deep block as well, the striker could kind of engage and block off wings as well. So they, they kind of had two center midfielders on our two center midfielders. They had a defensive midfielder that was able to guard Muller. And so they were able to kind of match us in midfield there, right? They, it wasn't that easy to find the obvious ball between the lines to, to receive defeat just because we had a bunch of players in those areas. Ryo were able to match our numbers there. We tried passes between the lines often. Sometimes it came off, but they were really good at pressuring, congesting the area. Nothing much came of it. Most of the time, especially when Muller received defeat, she had to go 
in front of the line itself and received. So we weren't, we weren't breaking lines at all. And so naturally, what do we do? We build wide. And generally, especially if we're facing like a 442 block or something, all of that central congestion is going to collapse the midfield line and we play it out wide. Technically, we should be in one versus one situations with the fullback, right? Because it's difficult for the midfielder to recover. But that three in midfield for Rayo allowed their wingers to kind of stay quite wide, have really good kind of pressing access to our wingbacks. And when we played it wide, it was the winger who was often going to our wingbacks, which allowed the fullback to stay narrow. And suddenly that ability to play that combination where you go wide, attract the fullback, open up space in the channel, which one of your strikers can hit because you're playing in a front two, that wasn't there. And I think that was one of the big problems and our inability to kind of break Rayo down and what they were doing because we, we go out wide. It's at least a one versus one with the winger, with the fullback being able to offer support. And it was just like, what do we do from there? The ability to build back inside wasn't that easy because Muller was playing as a 10 and we didn't have someone high in the half space to kind of connect and triangulate down the wing. So there just weren't that many options when we were going wide. It was like, let's kind of try to play it backwards, kind of slowly switch play. And because Rayo had that defensive width, they're able to easily kind of recover to the opposite side. And we just keep having the same problem. And basically, I think a lot of our best moments came in transition when Rayo were reorganizing or semi-transition or something. And they weren't able to recover to the winger. We attract the fullback out and we get good things going. There's space for Olga to put in a cross. I think maybe our best chance or our kind of moment in the first half was somewhere around the 38th minute. We were able to feed someone into the channel and then put a ball into the box. But by and large, we weren't really disorganizing Rayo in many threatening ways. And that was a problem. And I think the surprising thing was Osnar actually adjusted well in the second half. And I think it helped us a lot. But Grant, do you have anything you kind of want to add to that? Any other problems you, you kind of saw? Maybe something that was promising in the first half that, that you thought maybe, okay, if we go and do this more in a second, we can go get that goal in the second period. I don't know if I would say there was anything promising like tactically or in what we were doing, but I thought both Olga and Esther were pretty involved in getting into the final third. And just their individual efforts resulted in some half chances. I think that chance that you were talking about in the 38th minute, Muller plays it into the box. Esther has a nice turn and shoots, and it's a good save from the keeper. I think in that first half, I was not happy, but I was comfortable because we had some moments of individual brilliance. I thought it could get better. And Raya was just creating absolutely nothing. So it allowed us to get numbers forward. But I knew something needed to change in the second half if we were going to start to really dominate and create more chances. Yeah, so I'd say the main chances was that in the 38th, 39th minute. There was also one where Olga is able to put a ball into the box. And I think this is kind of where Rayo aren't exactly organized. So Olga has the space. Naikari gets onto the end of the cross and probably should have scores, but it goes wide. I think that's, that's just what it is for her right now. She just cannot seem to find her way to goal. Um, it's but, painful. I feel like we're living it with her. Everyone is like collectively holding their breath anytime the ball gets near. Yeah, I mean, she's making good movements into the box. She's 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 adding value with how we expect her to add value in those types of areas, and it's just not happening. And I I don't know if there's really much more that can be done than to just try to ride it out. Right? It's one of those things you we need confidence. We need to cross at hands and give her the ball for a penalty kick. 
Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, it's, it's just one of those things. I mean, we saw it with Vinicius. We've seen it with multiple other players. Like, the confidence is spiraling down, down, and down. The tension goes. And then at some point, something needs to change somewhere, whether it's a bit of luck, whether it's a mindset change, a bit of time in the offseason. She's had a finishing woes for a while now. It even goes back a little bit to the Alcacera last season, although she had a better goal-scoring record than what she's currently putting up now, which is nil. And, yeah, I mean, as long as she's getting into those positions and allowing us to create those types of chances, even in a half where creation was relatively bare, I'll live with it. You know, it is what it is. That's just how it goes sometimes. And she ended up playing the assist to Esther. She was a positive on the game. And uh, what I'm liking so far is that the Esther Naikari and a combination looks much improved than what we were seeing earlier in the season. We talked about it last game. I, I don't think it's anywhere near perfect, but Esther is doing a much better job of not dropping off all the time. And it's, I think it's interesting that both times it's come with kind of like a 10 in behind her who has like the designated role to do that as opposed to like a 4-4-2 or something where it's a bit more ambiguous. But you know, regardless of the reasons, it's working better. And I think we saw it, the link up between them on the goal. Like there's an understanding building. It's possible for them to play together. It's not like, and you know, we, we did, I did the whole like, like 20 minute, you know, solo talk on the pod going on about it. And I'm um, sure I think, I think there are some incompatibility issues and you do have to do some work, to put them together, but ultimately I concluded it wasn't impossible. Right. And basically, if Esther stops dropping off at every single moment, it, it gets a lot better. And I think we're, we're seeing that. I think this is building into a functional duo. We'll have to see how it progresses over time. But these are good signs going forward. And I think we saw in the second half. So getting to the second half, I think just everything starts to look way better for us. And I mean, we only scored one goal. Ultimately, it wasn't some kind of shellacking or something, but I feel like our progression into the final third, our ability to destabilize the defense, our ability to put balls into the box in ways that were making it eye uncomfortable, it was just happening at much greater volume. Grant, why do you think that was the case? Yeah, I think this was one of the halves that we created the most chances in all season, other than like that blowout Champions League game. What I saw immediately coming out of the half was better energy, better movement, and better positioning. And I think that that ends up pulling the Rio midfield line out quite a bit more, the exact opposite of what happened in the first half. And this allows gaps to open up for passing lanes, for runs to be made. And the progression just became so much easier because we were able to take that line of four in the midfield and kind of pull one or two players out with different movements. And then you were able to go right through that channel that they vacate. Yeah, I, I think that's essentially it. And this is where, give credit where credit's due. We don't just criticize Osnar for the sake of it because it's fun or whatever. We think there are legitimate issues. But if he's going to do something that's positive on the pitch, like that's honestly all I'm asking for, I think he recognized what was going on and he made the right adjustment that ended up doing about enough to, to kind of mess with what Rayo wanted. And that was a positive, and it was put, pulling Muller into the left pass space, essentially making her a left central midfielder, kind of pushing Zornoza up the opposite side of her, changing to basically a 5-3-2. Those Zornoza would kind of come off and drop a little deeper at times, as you'd expect, just based on the nature of her profile versus Muller. And 
that just kind of forced the wide midfielder to kind of tuck in a little bit, couldn't be as confident going out all the way to Olga. And that then might cause the fullback to step out and think, okay, I need to go out more to them. Then that opens up space in the channel for someone like Esther and Naikari to run into. And all of a sudden we have what we have like an obvious clear path towards entering the box, the final third, making deep completions in dangerous areas in threatening ways. And then there was also the fact that simply just having Miller there stationed higher up in the half space, closer to the wing, allowed us to try and do the ball better on the flank. And even when Raya were kind of able to recover to that side, we were able to kind of pass through them and work our way down the flank, which helped. We saw that happen a couple of times. And then because it starts to ask more of Raya to shift over, right? So if the winger is able to recover to Olga in time, then a central midfielder has to come over to Muller, which means everyone in that midfield line has to kind of shift over. We saw a little less of this, but quick switches of play then allowed us to go over to Kenki. She could be isolated against the fullback and we could go, right, and maybe attack the channel there or then kind of move back to the opposite side after forcing Raya to shift again and get a lot more space. It was just a good reaction to what Raya were doing structurally, and they just didn't know how to adjust kind of after that. I think what I saw mainly for them was they had more 4-4-2 looks in defense with someone stepping up, which I found a little confusing, but I think that also came after they went down early and they felt that they started to need to press a little bit, which did not really help them. We were able to play through it. So it was good. Like that was essentially, I think, what changed the game. There's a number of you know dangerous final threat entries that come directly from Muller being positioned where she was positioned. Um, we can talk about the goal and how she kind of influenced that. It was good. Props to Osnott here. I mean, I kind of joked it was a masterclass. I mean, it's not really, but it was, it was good. It was genuinely a positive tactical shift that impacted how we played. And if he could do this every time, I think there would be a lot, a lot less complaints about him. You want to just hop into the, in, into the goal? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the dream scenario for the Las Blancas podcast, I think. Nahikari assisting Esther. The the stands don't know what to do with themselves. They're like, we want one of them to score, the other to not score. But today they combine on a goal, and it was a really good piece of play for both of them. Nahikari gets it the top of the 18, plays this nice little sliced ball into Esther, who takes the ball and like just pulls it across her defender and beats her 1v1, and it's a really good finish, and it is a good thing. I mean, I think Esther has really found her form. She's got that confidence that we we're talking about, what Naikari needs, and she's just scoring at will right now. Yeah, it kind of starts with Muller being able to break lines receiving, but I really weren't organized at all in this instance. Midfield line was far too up, and ball played forward. There's couple failed interceptions, clearances. Naikari and Esther do really well to, to counter-press off of that, win the ball back. Naikari plays a smart ball through, and then Esther just fantastic job staying cool, taking the ball to the other side, to her left, rounding the defender. It's an excellent finish. She had a lot of work to do there, and that was just an absolutely fabulous goal. She's been a game-changer the last two matches. She won us the match today. Just absolutely fantastic. As you said, dream scenario for Las Blancas. And I think that kind of like spelled the end for Rio. They got a little more aggressive defensively, didn't suit them. 
was really comfortable for us after this, and we were able to get forward easier, create more dangerous chances. And I think a, a second was probably on the cards had we been able to be more efficient in certain situations. Um, I think we hoped our, our second would have come from that Naikari bicycle kick attempt, but I think that was just a little too difficult. Substitutions. I think if there was one thing like that I was a bit curious about, and maybe I have a little criticism, criticism with Osnar with is I kind of felt like they came a little too late. You know, Zornoza, I think, is really in a period where she probably needs some rest. I know we came off the international break, but those minutes like just add up over time. And regardless, we kind of went into 73 minutes with, with no changes whatsoever, which was interesting to me. It just kind of felt like one nil up, easy control. Let's start getting some players off. But 73rd minute, Teresa comes on for my pay. How did you like Teresa's performance as basically the pivot, right? Because we're in a 5-3-2 now. She's behind Zornoza. She's behind Muller. We don't often get to see Teresa play in that like deepest role because oftentimes she's been paired with Maite who does that. So how did you like her there? I thought it was fine other than her commitment to making back passes that scare the life out of all Real Madrid fans. Um, the game got a little bit more transitional, a little less do- ball dominant from Real Madrid. So you didn't see her kind of have that same influence that Maite has. And obviously there's part of that is Maite leaving the game, part of his game state and other things. But I thought she did all right. I mean, I much prefer her as an eight or as a 10 with Maite in behind. I think Maite just makes midfielders better. We've seen this with Zornosa and Maite and how Zornosa in the past two games has played a lot better, I think, than she has for a lot of the games. So I think everyone looks better with Maite, which is a testament to Maite's skill. But I thought she did a fine job. She filled in decently, other than, you know, that one back pass that almost cost us the game. So 81st minute, we see a whole host of changes. Lorena Navarro comes on for Olga. Lucia Rodriguez comes on for Muller. Ateneo del Castillo comes on for Naihari. I don't know if there's that much really to say about them. I thought Ateneo and Lucia kind of looked bright trying some things. Ateneo obviously is always going to come and, and take people on. But ultimately, it was a comfortable end to the game, aside from that scary moment, which you've hinted at multiple times, Grant. So why don't you just uh, tell us what happened there? Yeah, there's this odd moment where Teresa's kind of like on the top of the 18 out to the right if you're looking from her position and she plays this first back pass and it gets passed around and then she plays this second back pass it's kind of swooping across the box and the Rio attacker just tries to close Misa down and she ends up Misa ends up making this clearance slash save where her and the attacker kind of come together and the attacker ends up getting the ball and having an opportunity to shoot but she eventually gets closed down, but it was just a really nervy moment and the only real danger that Ryo had all game, and, and we created it. Yeah, ultimately, this wasn't an utterly dominant performance where we just created insane amounts of chances, but this was, I would say, our most comfortable league match of the season, really. If that's the only thing that Ryo create off an unnecessary mistake, it's fine. Like, I... I'm fairly happy with this performance. I think we adjusted well when we needed to adjust. We controlled the ball generally well. We didn't allow it on much. Again, this is not an opponent that we should expect to trouble us. We've been saying that with some of these teams all season. 
and we've generally been performing below expectations. So this is good. This is a good tiny step forward. This is what we need to see a little bit more of. It's good to see a lot of players coming back from injury. It's good to see Esther and Ikari playing together and looking like they're figuring each other out. These are positives. Um, one tiny issue, which I don't know if there was that much potential to avoid with the formation up there, was Yvonne at left center back. I thought she defended well, but I think you could once again kind of see the issues where with her distributing from that side really early on, she cuts inside, tries, tries to play a switch pass, and it's a giveaway. And just her influence in possession on that side of the pitch is just not the same at all. And that hurts us a little bit because she's actually a big part of our possession game on the right-hand side. And I was actually thinking that one of the solutions, I was thinking at halftime, one of the solutions to, you know, the way we're getting boxed on the center and then overloaded on the wing is have the, the wide center back come up aggressively to support, provide the out ball. In addition to having the interior there, it provides good numbers. If, if Ryo drags center midfielder over there, it allows us to go four versus four probably forces them to compact the wing more and allows us to switch better. But if Ivana is not comfortable receiving and doing things on that, that side, that's not exactly realistic. Ultimately, we didn't really need that. Just moving Muller over to that side work. But I think just something to keep in mind, like I think as soon as possible, I think Ivana Andres should be right center back. And um, I think that was probably what hurt us the most about Bob's being out is that Ivana had to play there. Ultimately, didn't end up mattering that much. But I think we've seen it enough now to, to realize she's not super comfortable there. I suppose this is the time to just kind of hit on any random notes you have, anything we didn't talk about, any player performances you want to get to. Yeah, I think, as I said earlier, Olga and Esther Nahikari's partnership and Maite and Zornosa's partnership were all bright spots in this game. Misa didn't really have to do anything. The defenders weren't tested too much. But I thought that they all were pretty good. I think we saw with Maite and Zornosa the ability for two midfielders to just switch the point of attack where a lot of our success down the flank came from. So they were able to, to get the ball on one side and switch it to Olga, and Olga was able to create danger from there, whether it was crossing or shooting. I thought that was really our bright spot in the game and our most consistent way forward. Agreed. and. I guess I'll just say what a signing Caroline Muller-Hansen is proving to be. And um, perhaps we should be, I mean, we won't take a lesson from it, but perhaps we should when it comes to making judgments over tiny sample sizes with a player that had no preseason, kept getting subbed on in horrible situations. Maybe it's okay to kind of take some time, especially when you haven't watched the player beforehand. And I didn't watch that much of Muller beforehand. And I mean, that's fine. You, you admit it, and that's why you wait, right? But a lot of Madrid's have said they hadn't watched her beforehand, and then like we're kind of like really quick to denounce her when she was probably the person that you should least expect to come out and produce fireworks, given the situation, given everyone that was underperforming, all the bigger stars, all the players that had a preseason, all the players you'd expect to step up, given the horrible you know results and the poor tactical environment that we've had so far, like, it just felt all a bit too much. And once, you know, surprisingly, once she got some rhythm going, she's been able to score goals. She's shown her quality on the ball and she's proving to be a very versatile player. I, I mean, I don't know exactly whether she's the option for us out wide. I think she's proving to be more valuable in central areas, but theoretically she's a person who can play as a striker, can play as a winger, can play as a number 10, as we saw in this game. And then also literally just, 
you know, played as kind of an advanced central midfielder in the left half space, which changed the tactical nature of the game, right? These types of players were unselfish, who have varied skill sets and can operate in a variety of different areas, especially in a situation where we might encounter injury crisis. Like these players are extremely valuable. And she's proving to be very effective so far and, and critical to the results that we've picked up. So great signing, enjoying Caroline Muller Hansen so far. Long may this continue and um, let's have patience, right? And it's not patience for patience sake, it's patience for logic's sake, right? Like there was it's a just lot. reasonable patience. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a lot of things to argue for just taking a bit of time before we decide to like lay the hammer down on Caroline Muller Hansen from the fact that she was quality at Inter, that people who watched it at Inter, you know, backed her and believed that she had the quality to the fact that everything I was talking about with just how unideal the context was for her coming in. I mean, let's just keep that in mind going forward. Um, you know, it's all love, but you know, sometimes I, I got to remind people and try to, you know, we, I, we're, we're all an emotional group. Obviously, we, we, we have a lot invested in this. It was a bad start to the season, but, you know, let's, let's try to you know, keep that in check sometimes. And when we're going to make assessments, do so a, little, a tiny bit more intelligently, but it's all good. I mean, we all see what's happening now. I think she's won a lot of people over. And as I said before, long may continue. All right, Grant, I think this may be the quickest podcast we've ever done. And I don't think it was too bad. Maybe we need to operate under intense type restriction, uh, time restrictions all the time. Um, and, and we can produce stuff like this. I think probably that's speaking more to me than you. But any last things you want to get in? That was a huge win. It was the first time that we've won consecutive league games all this season. It was our fourth win at home consecutively. So things are on the up and up. That being said, we have to go to Paris and play PSG midweek, which is going to be a whole different world. It's going to be a really, really tough game. It's going to be a really, really tough environment. And we're going to see what this team is made of a bit. It's going to be, you know, an opponent that that played Barcelona very tight last year in the Champions League. Granted, they lost a lot of players, but PSG is a very good team and it's kind of a test to see where we're at, what we need to do to step up in the Champions League. Hopefully we can get a result, and I think a result would pretty much lock up qualification to the next round. Yeah, I think it'll be a good marker to kind of find out how quote-unquote real these past couple weeks, uh, past couple wins have been, how much we've actually improved, how much on the up we are. I mean, I think there's something there, but at the end of the day, it's not, you can't, throw a party like Grant is going to do <laughs> um, over beating two of the worst teams in the league, right? So I'm not throwing a party. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens at PSG. Um, this reminds me that I have to remind Lucas to send the one last email to see if we can get in the press conference. And then when we, get the, when we don't get an answer at all, we can be sad about that for a few days. All right, guys, quick one. Hope that was a relief for you, though. We haven't actually had any complaints about lengthy podcasts. But good change of pace, I hope. We'll talk to you guys later. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.